I thought if I just stayed sitting down, he might preach it. Yeah. <laughs> we talked earlier uh, in Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 19, about Daniel's prayer. And just a quick uh, looking back to that. Uh, Daniel was drawn to prayer by, by studying the Word and reading the Word and finding in the book of Jeremiah, uh, chapter 25, that the Jewish exile was going to last for 70 years. And uh didn't take much for Daniel to figure out the first you know, people going back to uh, and being captured and taken back into Babylon and all. And he, as he figures it out, he realizes there's maybe three years left of that 70 years. And realizing probably that as a people, maybe they're not ready. They need God to, to come alongside. And, and so he pleads uh, his own sins before the throat, asks forgiveness. He asks forgiveness of the, the sins of the people. He asks for guidance, direction. And, uh, you know... He's he's really looking at the the Lord to come alongside them in this this uh, situation in this time. Uh, just a quick look. It says, "I turned my face to the Lord God, see, uh, God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes." So He came in humility and sincerity. I prayed to the Lord my God. And made confession, saying, O Lord, the great, uh, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to Your uh, servants, the, the prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers and all of the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. So, Daniel's just pouring out his heart as he's realizing that there's going to be the opportunity now to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and, and, and all that's going to be going on in that. And, and he realizes that they need to be ready to do this. And so this is what is you know, giving him this desire to pray uh, this specific prayer. And uh, in just a, a couple of other verses, verses 18 and 19, he says, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. In other words, look at how destroyed this city is and, and this is what we're going back to. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Isn't that a powerful statement really when you think about it? He's saying, we're not coming because we have any deserved right to do this. We don't. We're sinners. But we're coming because of your great mercy. 
And again, he says, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So, as we are your people, you've made the promises through Abraham as implied in that statement. Uh, bring us back, Lord. Restore us. Take us back to this dead city and assist us in rebuilding it and putting it back together. And so this is Daniel's prayer. And, and, uh, he, like I said, he sees within a few years, this is going to be, they're going to be starting to return to Jerusalem and Judea. And he wants to have God coming along and the people ready to receive and to, and to serve the Lord. Um, well, we pick up uh, today, and the scripture that was read just a, a moment ago starts in verse uh, 20 through 23, where uh, as Daniel's praying, Gabriel comes alongside. The angel Gabriel says, Gabriel the man, it means that he looks like a man, okay? But Daniel knows who Gabriel is, and in the vision before, he has already seen him. Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, comes and, and comforts. Daniel, and gives him encouragement and says, God's heard your prayer and God greatly, you know, you're greatly loved. You know, and so, uh, we're here to, 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 you know, I'm here to, to bring you a vision specifically about what you've been talking about and, and to help you. And so Gabriel brings the answer, if you will, to the prayer. Uh, and I, I put it on the side of my notes, just one of these, you know, little side thoughts is, this is the Gabriel that spoke to Mary as well. You know, this is this is Gabriel as God's messenger of these things, and uh, so we see him here, and uh, he speaks. He says, uh, "Gabriel made me understand. He gave me insight and understanding." Uh, and and then Gabriel speaks, starting in in verse twenty four through twenty seven to Daniel, and he gives him this picture. So let's look again at verse 24. Seventy weeks. Now, I don't know how many of you have a footnote maybe next to the word weeks, uh, and you go drop down to the, to the footnote at the bottom of the page, and it'll say uh, the word seven. You know, seven, and, and so it's literally seventy sevens. Okay? How many days in a week? Seven. Okay? I... You, 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 the, the word, the number seven, the, the number seventy, uh, it, it, it's a, a number that shows up in Scripture over and over and over again. The Sabbath, the seventh, that, and the seventh day is the rest. And also, there was supposed to be a, a, a seventh year rest for the land. Uh, the Jewish people were not doing that. And when you figure out the amount of days that they were in this first captivity, 70, day, uh, 70 years that they were in captivity, you find out that's how many Sabbaths they missed and in, in not doing the right thing with the land. And so all of this is, is coming together. They can see this. We, we're not coming close to it because we're not familiar with the law out of Leviticus in chapter 25 that deals with that. And, and, and so we just need to see that, that what God is doing is saying, you were disobedient. And Daniel was pleading that. You were, you didn't do what was right. You acted wickedly. You didn't trust in me. And, and so this exile came upon you. Uh, 
Now you're going back. And, and so, uh, he says this, 70 weeks or 70 sevens. Uh, each, you know, it, it basically is seven times 70. 490. Okay? What he's saying is there's 490 years involved here uh, that I'm going to be talking to you about. Uh, and, and it's uh, it's decreed about your people, the, the Jews, and your city, Jerusalem. And in this period of this 77s, or 490 years, in this period, the, the following things are going to happen. And he, and he lists uh, six different things. He says, uh, we're going to finish the, trans, uh, the, the transgression, put an end to sin, atone for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness, seal both vision and prophet, and anoint a most holy place. This is, these six things are going to happen within, at the end of this 490 years. Look at, so that's, you know, again, verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put the end of sin, to atone for the iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore, in other words, because this has been said, this is when, once it's said and, and God says it, it's a given. So therefore, know this. As a result of this, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the Word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then, for sixty-two weeks, it shall be built again with squares in the moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And I'm going to stop right there. Uh, and basically what he's saying is the, the things are going to come back together. There is going to be a restoration of Jerusalem. The temple is going to be built again. And, and all of this is going to come in, you know, to fruition. But, he says, during this time, the, the, there's you know, the, the 69 uh, weeks, basically, when you add it all together, he says, there's something at the end of this that's going to happen. That's 483 years. I'm not going to try to do all the numbers here in, in, a, in a message, but I can tell you that from the point that Artaxerxes allowed, the Persian king allowed the Hebrew people to return, 444 B.C., 483 years later takes us to around 32 A.D. What happened? Christ gave his life. By the way, the third thing in that the fourth, uh, the third thing in that list of six, atone for iniquity, occurred. Okay. So from the restoration of Jerusalem, you know, under King Artaxerxes, four forty-four B.C., the seven weeks plus sixty-two weeks, sixty-nine weeks, or four hundred and eighty-three days. We have an anointed prince who shall be cut off. 
This is the rejection of the Messiah and uh, the Prince of Peace. His crucifixion is death. Then back into chapter 26, it says there's going to be a destruction of the city Jerusalem. Look at the, 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 where I left off there. Uh, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and no end there shall be war, desolations and, and are, are decreed. Now, it says flood there. It doesn't mean flood of water. It just means a mass of, of flooding in, in the sense of going on. But there's, it can be a number of things. In this case, it's going to be soldiers. What's being talked about here is what happens in 70 A.D. There is a prince of Rome named Titus who comes with a massive army and literally puts a siege around the city of Jerusalem. And rather than you know, fight what would have been a very bitter battle, uh, because the people would fight to the death for their city and their temple. Okay, and so you know he was aware of that. He just put the the the, the siege around there. Nothing could get in or out. Well, what he was bank, banking on was what happened—a famine, pestilence, disease, the destruction of the Jerusalem temple by Titus of Rome. And I wanted to the destruction of the of this temple is, is is mentioned by Jesus as well. If you get into the what's called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter twenty four or in uh, Luke chapter twenty, Jesus talks about well you'll recall the the he said not one stone is going to be left on top of another when he was walking through uh, the Jerusalem. And, and the disciples said, when is this going to happen? And, and he basically was explaining to them. And he was referring to 70 A.D. when it was going to happen. There was this, the temple was going to be totally destroyed. Not one stone left on another. And by the way, when Titus finally invaded the city, they, they burned it to the ground. And so the soldiers went through literally moving these huge stones, getting horses, whatever is necessary to try to move the horses, and the stones, so that they could find the treasures of the temple that had melted. And they actually were finding gold between the rocks and, 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 the, and the dirt. And so that inspired them to, to completely desecrate where the temple had been. And that's what is said that's going to happen here. It's an interesting thing. Jesus warned that those who would see the beginnings of this, he, he was speaking to the apostles, he says, be warned, flee Jerusalem. A very interesting thing has been recorded through history uh, uh, and even through non-Christian historians that there were very few Christians trapped in Jerusalem. They saw the army of Titus coming. The flood was coming to destroy the city. And Jesus says, get out when you see it happening. And they did. 
And so there's a number of books written, a couple of them actually titled the Olivet Discourse, that talk about this and, and how amazing it was and how many how, how the majority of Christians escaped this. But, but Josephus, a, a Jewish historian, uh, recorded a lot of this, and of course others did as well, but he's probably got the most de- detailed descriptions of what was happening within the framework of the city during the siege. I am not going to read any of that to you. It is, for lack of better words, I've used this word once already today, horrific. It's beyond comprehension what happened and the, the, the depravity that became part of the mob rule of Jerusalem uh, and the idea of my family and my family first now to the point of killing others to get what little food might be available and even cannibalism. Now, if you can imagine within the Jewish culture, cannibalism is, is beyond a comprehension for them. So you can see what, what, what depravity they were brought to by this siege of Titus from Rome and the soldiers. It's, it's estimated that 1.1 million, and it, and it says non, basically, basically says non-combatants, means non-soldiers, means civilians, you know, died in Jerusalem during that siege. Famine, violence. It just, uh, it was a five month siege. And so, uh, Jerusalem was just completely destroyed. And then Titus, like I said, uh, he, he set it afire. He burned the city down. He destroyed the temple and every, he, he, he went after these people with a vengeance almost, in a sense. You look at this breakdown of time and you say, okay, within the framework of these 70 weeks, you've talked about 69 weeks, where are we now? Well, we're between 69, the 69th week, if you will, and the 70th week. There's seven years left of this prophecy yet to happen. And so somebody will say, well, then, then what's going on for us? Where are we now? And, uh, where we are is, is in between, if you will, the, this, this prophetic picture, and it's called the time of the Gentiles. And it's spoken of in Scripture. Right now, God is taking the gospel to the world and this, he's using this time to do that. Because once that seven years begins that he's talking about, this last seven years begin, that's going to be it. It's going to be the end of time. Some people talk about uh, the, the Great Tribulation and the Antichrist and all that. There was so much time spent in the 
in the 60s and 70s, especially in the 80s, and writing and teaching and movies and, and just so much stuff. And don't get me wrong, I, it was stuff that really helped me to understand God's serious <laughs> about, about what He wants to do with His, with His people and with the world. But uh, the focus got so distracted that you know you, you had 16 different ideas about where it was going. Whether are we going to be? Uh, is there going to be a millennial reign, a thousand-year reign? Revelation talks about this. Well, is that symbolic or is that literal? Uh, and if it's literal, are you? Uh, is Jesus going to come before the millennial, in the middle of the millennial, or after the millennial? Uh, or for that matter, is he going to come before the tribulation? That comes the, the last seven years before the millennial start, uh, you know, and and we just get all caught up in all of these discussions, and and God said that's not supposed to be the focus. The focus is supposed to be go out. Where do we call this? Oh, chapter twenty-eight of Matthew, Great Commission. Go out and take the the the, the message, the gospel, to the lost of the world. And what I wanted to share with you uh, is. Out of Acts chapter two, actually, in the very beginning of, of of the church, and this was this part was called the, and well, it's just the last part of, of Acts uh, chapter two. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This was the church as it was coming together, and interestingly enough, guess guess where it was coming together? Jerusalem, right in the middle of the the Hebrew culture. And and they were teaching in, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Breaking of bread and prayers was having communion together. And and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done. God was working miracles through this situation uh, and it done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Isn't that interesting? People sold their property, sold whatever they had and came together and 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 put their resources together, gave it to the apostles to ad- administrate, and and so that everybody could have something. Okay, and and so that there's that picture of, of this holding things in common, and basically saying nothing belongs to me. I belong to God, and therefore anything I have is of God. And if God has a direction for it other than what I think it should be used for, He, you know, I'm asking Him to tell me and to let me know and whatever, and to lay it at the feet of the apostles so that it can be used accordingly. And uh, they, it says, uh, and all who believed were together and held all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And the day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So they were having meals together as well in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so this is what God's wanting to have happen between the 69th week, if you will, and and the 70th week. He wants us to be building the church, the Great Commission, going out, sharing the Gospel, being aware of the needs around you. Uh, I have been blessed and I've had the opportunity to be used to, to bless people who are not believers. But you come alongside and you minister to them uh, because there's a need. 
And the next thing you know, maybe they'll come and visit church. You know, you don't know. Sometimes they, they'll never acknowledge it. Uh, they'll never come to church. They, they just were very thankful that you were there. By the way, God blesses that. And, and so, this idea of coming alongside each other, making sure that none of us have needs that are not being met. Does it mean that we all live the exact same lifestyle? No, but it means nobody's going hungry. Nobody's going cold. Nobody's going uncovered or unhoused. We make sure that that is being taken care of. And within the community of believers around here, generally speaking, I've seen periods of time where that has been done. We, you know, a couple of times with earthquakes where people had to find housing, they were stayed with other people in the church. It was it was amazing to see the handing out of of, of ministry. And even to non-believers. Because that's how we share the Gospel. The Gospel is to be taken from an attitude of, God has blessed me, how can I minister to you? And so this, this picture of meeting together, communion together, uh, breaking bread together, eating together, was what was necessary at the time. But it was a witness to all the people of of, of uh, the Judean area. And as the church expanded, it continued to con- have the same idea of ministry one to another. In Acts chapter 1, uh, I just wanted to share this with you in the sense of of moving towards communion this morning. So when they had come together, they asked Him. Now this is the apostles and Jesus is walking with them still after His resurrection. Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they, the one thing they had been looking for was the same thing they had been looking for before they ever met Jesus in the first place was they were waiting for a Messiah that was going to come along and lead them into victory over Rome and kick out the Romans from Israel and, and or from, yeah, from Jerusalem and, and all of Israel and restore the kingdom that was uh, like Solomon, under Solomon. And, you know, so they're, they're saying, now, Jesus, we're going to do that? So even after His resurrection, they're still not quite sure. So listen to how this goes now. He said to them, verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses. Here's what He wants them to do. Just what we've been talking about. You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem. Can you imagine the hostility that's there? But He's saying, I want you there. I want you witnessing my death, burial, and resurrection. I want you talking about it. And then I want you to go to all Judea. And then to Samaria. And then to the end of the earth. In other words, cover the globe. Did you know that by the end of the first century, there's instances now of, of, of archaeological digs that show 
that the gospel may have been beginning to be presented even as far away as Japan by the end of the first century. Isn't that amazing? Definitely into India. All through the, you know, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And when they'd said these things, they were looking on and, and was, and, and was lift, and, and he, Jesus, was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as they went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, angels, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw Him go into heaven. And in the meantime, get busy with what He told you to do. <laughs> Which is, comes later on in the, in the story. But the idea is, you know, stop just waiting for Jesus to come. Get busy with what He has asked you to do. To go to Judea. Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is the in-between time. This is where we are right now. This is the time of the Gentiles, if you will. The people who are not Jewish getting the Word of God. By the way, it doesn't mean you don't take the Word to the Jewish people. What I'm saying is is that this is the, the picture. The whole world is to be preached. By the way, there's pretty much basically access to the whole world at this time. And so people are beginning to recalculate and say, well, let's see, this, 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 and this could happen. If these have all happened and these things have all happened, gosh, the Lord could come by the, the year 2000. Oh, by the year 2025. Not by the year 2030. By the... There's been so many calculations... He was supposed to come in the 1840s. In fact, he was supposed to come in the 1600s. Well, for that matter, he was supposed to come in the, in, in the second century. In fact, at the end of the first century. People have always been trying to figure it out. That's not our job. He says we're not to worry about that. That's, you know, that's, the Father knows that. That's, his, you know, that's been taken care of. Your responsibility is to share the gospel with everybody you can. And so, out of all of this from Daniel, you can jump around and talk about the Antichrist and you can jump around and talk about all these other... The core of what has been said was, get the gospel out. That's what's important. The one who is coming, who will be cut off, is coming again. And we have that to hang on to. And so every time we share with communion, we celebrate that. Jesus says, I will do this, I won't do this again until my kingdom comes. And what he's talking about is his kingdom comes in completion. And we'll celebrate this together. But in the meantime, he tells us as often as we gather, and we see this in the book of Acts, as often as they gathered, they broke bread together. And that's the idea of sharing communion. Sharing the bread represents the body of Christ. Sharing the cup, uh, the grape uh, juice that represents the blood of Christ. And so, uh, as we have communion this morning, we're still uh, kind of abiding by some of the COVID rules. And so, uh, you come up here and uh, pick up your communion. We won't be passing the trays. Uh, And you can do that while we're singing our communion song.
above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man. You were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, There's no way to measure what you're worth. Crucified, lay behind the stone. You live to die, rejected and alone. Like a rose, trampled on the ground. You took the fall. And thought of me above all, above all powers, above all kings, above all nature and all created things, above all wisdom and all the ways of man. You were here before the world began. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. Crucified, lay behind the stone. You lived to die, rejected and alone, like a rose trampled on the ground. You took the fall and thought of me. Above all. Paul wrote to the Corinthians this about communion. He says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread and when He had given thanks, He broke it and He said, this is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let us share the bread together. Paul continues, he says, in the same way, Also, Jesus took the cup. And after supper, He said, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let us share.
Father, again, we thank You for the opportunity to come to Your table to share the bread, to share the cup, realizing, Lord, every time we do, that the God of all creation has saved us. There's nothing we can bring to the table I think of, of Daniel's prayers of, of we're just we're not worthy. There's nothing we can bring to the table that, that merits your covering. But you love us so that you have given through this through Jesus Christ on the cross, have given us life. For all who believe, who all confess with the mouth, believe in the heart that Jesus is the Christ raised from the dead, You've given us life. Thank You. And thank You for Your Word that challenges us to read and to meditate and to think. And the opportunity, Lord, to apply the Word daily in our lives, both privately, together in our families, and in our communities as well. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You for the day You've blessed us with. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close? And uh, thank you so much for being here this morning. To God be the glory, great things He has done. So loved He the world that He gave us His Son, who yielded His life and atonement for sin, and hope in the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory, great things He has done. Oh, perfect redemption, the purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus the pardon receives. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory, great things He has done. Great things He has taught us, great things He has done, and great are rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear His voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory, great things He has done. 
Amen. Lord bless. Again, have a wonderful rest of the day. We have some refreshments in the back. You have time to visit for a little while.